From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. And welcome back. If this is your first time joining us, well, thanks for stopping by. I hope you're weathering this COVID-19 pandemic well. I know we're all struggling with this. We are all in this together. How many times have you heard that? And are you tired of hearing that so far? (sighs) The cases continue to rise, so do the deaths, but we also have to remember that the majority of the people, at least here in Canada, are fully recovering, and I guess across the world as well. This has definitely changed our world. It's harder to be motivated. It's harder to get started doing stuff. It's hard to keep motivated. It's just a challenge for everyone, especially those who are stuck at home and are not working. And I know there's a lot of us that are in that state, trying to find the time, learning something new. I've been actually trying to pick up the guitar a little bit, all those things. I realized what effect this whole thing is having just after I posted the last episode of the Cannabis Podcast, back at episode 42. As soon as I posted that, I looked at the time frame and realized that it had been three weeks since the episode prior to that. When I started doing this, as if you remember, I started doing an episode a week, put that out, and then I went back to work and realized that I couldn't do one a week, pushed it back to two times a month, every two weeks. And this is the irony that I find in times where you have no, you have so little to do, and yet everything you do seems to take much more time. I was astounded that three weeks had gone by in between the last episode, between 41 and 42. So I'll try to make sure that doesn't happen again. Try to keep it at two-week intervals. I had also had a couple of interviews lined up for this episode. After realizing that I had that three-week gap, I thought, well, let's do a bit of preparation and get something ready in advance. But of course, circumstance got in the way. We had to postpone those. One I'm looking forward to is a discussion with a longtime listener on an appropriate topic for this time of the year, growing cannabis. And he's got some tips for making your indoor grow a great success. Hopefully we will get connected and have that conversation for the next episode. We're getting ready to plant our outdoor crop as well. Seeds are germinating as we speak. So today, appropriate again for these different times, I have a potpourri of cannabis-related stories and anecdotes to help you while away your isolation time. And since I, in fact, need to get motivated myself, give me just a moment to do that. This is some of the Ethel Street Indica from last grow season. Still tasting pretty good. Still having a pretty good effect. So today we are going to touch on the history of cannabis in Canada, thanks to Leafly. Came across that and it was an interesting explanation of what has happened across the years in our country with cannabis. Also, I have a story from the Growth Op. This is about a controversial author from the States and his link, supposed link, between cannabis and COVID-19. And then I'm going to ramble around through some memories on my cannabis use, mostly related to my time in radio, and who knows where that may end up. All of that and more is coming your way on episode 43 of the Cannabis Podcast. Now, when I first saw this story, I think it was Okanagan Z that first posted this on Twitter and a couple of others did too. I was pissed off. (laughs) This is a story from the Growth Op. 
And the headline is, Did Controversial Author Alex Berenson Link COVID-19 Outbreak to Cannabis Use? Over the past couple of weeks, multiple local and state governments have labeled marijuana an essential good under shelter-in-place quarantine orders. In most places, governments also removed delivery and pickup restrictions placed on dispensaries, giving residents marijuana while maintaining proper social distancing practices. Now, these actions signaled a confirmation by governing bodies that cannabis was a medical necessity and access should go uninterrupted. We've seen that here in Canada as well. Certainly in BC, it is an essential service. In Ontario, the essential service part of it is still kind of there, but now you have to order online, although they are trying to bring in some kind of delivery system as well. Alex Berenson, author of the controversial book, Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, had a different outlook on marijuana in the time of coronavirus. He told Fox News host Laura Ingram this week that maybe cannabis deserved partial blame for the outbreak. There's really a strong correlation between the places that have the most cannabis use and the places where this epidemic has really taken off, Berenson said. Whether that's New York City, the Bay Area, Seattle, Colorado, then Italy and Spain are the countries in Europe along with France that have the most marijuana use. Look, I think it would be irresponsible to say there's any causation there, he continued. We don't know anything about this virus, and obviously a lot of older people who don't use cannabis get very sick, but it's very striking to me. Previously, Berenson linked last year's school shootings in El Paso and Dayton to marijuana use as well. He referenced science from his book that smoking cannabis can cause psychosis in users. Marijuana causes psychosis, he writes. Psychosis causes violence. The obvious implication is that marijuana causes violence. Ow! Some things you hear, you just go, wow, where the heck could that possibly come from? Scientists and experts have publicly denounced Berenson's book, which they say draws faulty conclusions from medical literature. In an open letter to Berenson, 75 doctors and scholars from New York University, Harvard Medical School, and Columbia University disputed the book's claims, which they state are based on a deeply inaccurate misreading of science. The letter reads, We urge policymakers and the public to rely on scientific evidence, not flawed pop science and ideological polemics, in formulating their opinions about marijuana legalization. And how true that is. (laughs) Wow. I can't believe that the guy would take a leap and suggest that COVID-19 is linked to cannabis use. Although we already have discovered, of course, from a safe perspective, we need to change our cannabis use in relation to COVID-19, but we're all doing that. We don't need any of these bizarre stories to come out of nowhere and try to claim a different correlation that simply isn't there. Wow. And now I thought it would be interesting to take kind of a look back. This is a story from Leafly uh, way back in 2017 on the history of cannabis in Canada. And after we've had legalization here for about 18 months now, and we're starting to settle into it, things are starting to make more sense. Here we are in the COVID pandemic. And of course, we realize that cannabis is an essential service. I thought this kind of point-by-point look back through the years that Leafly put out was kind of an interesting examination of the history of cannabis in our country. In 1801, it was the Lieutenant Governor of Upper Canada who distributed hemp seeds to farmers in an effort to stimulate industry. 1822, the Provincial Parliament of Upper Canada allowed 300 pounds of machinery to process hemp and incentivize domestic hemp producers. 1917, a new machine invented, making it easier to separate hemp fiber from the internal core. 
but hemp production dropped off in favor of cotton production, which was less labor-intensive. 1923. Cannabis was deemed illegal in Canada in 1923. After the Narcotics Drug Act Amendment Bill introduced the act to prohibit the improper use of opium and other drugs adding cannabis, in addition to opium, cocaine, and morphine. 1937, the first marijuana seizure was made by Canadian law enforcement. 1962, now there's a big gap between 37 and 62. Cannabis gained popularity and the number of cannabis convictions escalated from 25 in 1930 and 46 to 20 cases in 1962 alone. 1968, that's about the time that the peace movement was in full swing. The number of cannabis convictions jumped up to 2,300 as marijuana use increased, particularly among college students and the hippie psychedelic counterculture. 1969. The Canadian government formed the Royal Commission of Inquiry into the Non-Medical Use of Drugs, known as the Ladane Commission, which we've spoken about a lot. They were to investigate the non-medical uses of cannabis. 1971. The first pro-cannabis smoke-in was held in Vancouver's Gastown District. Known as the Gastown Riot or the Battle of Maple Tree Square, hundreds of peaceful protesters demonstrated on Water Street before being forcefully dispersed by police officers on horseback. 1972, the Ladane Commission released their report on cannabis, recommending that the federal government remove criminal penalties for the use and possession of cannabis, although the report did not recommend legalization outright. No steps were taken to decriminalize cannabis at that time. And boy, do we know that. <laughs> 1996, Terrence Parker arrested for cannabis possession, cultivation, and trafficking after he was caught growing cannabis to control his epileptic seizures. He appealed to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. 2000, the Ontario Court of Appeal ruled that the prohibition of cannabis use infringed on Terrence Parker's right to life, liberty, and security of the person, therefore rendering cannabis prohibition unconstitutional. 2001 saw the Canadian government enact the first rendition of the country's medical marijuana law, the Marijuana for Medical Access Regulations, or NMAR. That allowed licensed patients to grow their own cannabis or access it from licensed growers. 2003, the Liberal government of Jean Chrétien introduced the first federal marijuana decriminalization measure, reducing the possession of up to 15 grams of cannabis to a civil fine. The bill died, mostly due to pressure from the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration. 2004, it was the minority liberal government of Paul Martin who introduced an identical decriminalization measure, but Martin's government was defeated and the bill died again. 2005, city authorities in Vancouver drafted a plan entitled Preventing Harm from Psychoactive Drug Use in an attempt to regulate cannabis sales through the four-pillar drug strategy. 2006, Prime Minister Stephen Harper announced a new national anti-drug strategy. That's the way, that's the way imposing mandatory prison sentences on cannabis dealers, and anyone charged with growing more than 500 plants would face a two-year minimum jail sentence. Maximum penalties for producing cannabis increased from 7 to 14 years in jail. In 2011, Justice Donald Taliano ruled that the MMAR and the prohibitions against the possession and production of cannabis were constitutionally invalid. He ordered the government to fix the program accordingly. Well, they did. In 2013, the government implemented the Marijuana for Medical Purposes Regulations, MMPR, which created a commercially licensed industry for the production and distribution of medical cannabis. 2015, Owen Smith, a cannabis baker, charged with possession of cannabis-infused cookies. He appealed the charge, and the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that restricting legal access to only dried cannabis flour 
violated the constitutional rights of medical patients. Licensed producers were now allowed to produce cannabis oils, and patients were allowed to possess and, uh, and alter different forms of cannabis. And then 2016, Neil Allard challenged the MMPR for suspending personal production licenses from patients, requiring patients to access cannabis slowly through licensed producers. I actually knew a grower at that time, and it was a terrible impact on him. The Federal Court of Canada ruled in Allard's favor and revised the law yet again with the Access to Cannabis for Medical Purposes Regulations, or ACMPR as we know today. In 2017, the Government of Canada proposed the Cannabis Act, which would legalize the possession, use, cultivation, and purchase of limited amounts of cannabis by adults 18 years of age and older. 2018, the Cannabis Act goes into effect, legalizing cannabis for adult use nationwide, and for the most part, the age is 19 years across the country, except 21 in Quebec. And there is a rather illustrative history of marijuana and cannabis use in Canada and how we were thrown to the back so long ago for so long. And then finally, things started to right themselves in 2018 when legalization finally occurred. And now you know. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. This is the Cannabis Podcast. I can't believe I almost got through an entire episode at this time of the year and I forgot to talk about 420. <laughs> Here we are in April 2020, which is 420 all month long. We've talked about that in the last episode. And I guess because we are in 420 isolation, which again, we talked about in the last episode, it kind of slipped my mind as I was preparing this particular episode of the podcast, realizing it's going to be published on the 18th of April. And of course, two days later, it is officially 420. All these celebrations have gone by the wayside. So what's being suggested for a lot of people is why don't you do a virtual group together? You know, have a smoke in, but not together. <laughs> and it's a good idea. I think I'm, uh, I've signed up for Zoom and I've signed up for House Party, a few of those video conferencing softwares that are out there. Get a group of friends together, maybe get my gang back together and let's all smoke a joint individually together. I guess that's about the best way we're going to be able to celebrate 420 this year. Now, I do have a link that is back at CannabisPodcast.com. Another link from Leafly, which is Leafly's guide to 420. And it's full of all kinds of stuff. You can find out the history of 420, any deals that you might be able to find, some cannabis basics like Cannabis 101, all of those types of things. And then, of course, there's not going to be a whole lot of scheduled events on 420 because we are in social distancing. We have to maintain that two meter distance or six feet between us. So it is going to be a 420 where we are smoking together, but yet apart. Smoking as a group, but yet smoking as individuals. Or whether you're going to eat it, doesn't matter to me whether you smoke it or inhale it, ingest it, whatever. It's still 420 and it's still a day that we're all going to get high. So I tell you what, if you're listening to this episode and it happens to actually be on 420, light up a joint just like I'm going to do now and let's share it together. And this way we can have a 420 unlike no other. Let's hope that it's back to normal for next year. And what I wanted to do now was to share a few memories with you, some cannabis-induced memories of times gone by 
and the way things used to be, and maybe we'll get back to there eventually. I don't know. It was about 1972 when I started my cannabis activism. I've covered this off in a couple of other stories. And back at that time, I was working at a radio station in uh, the interior of British Columbia. And I had been at the radio station for, oh, probably about six months or so. I was a low man on the totem pole. I was way down on the bottom, but I had already developed a love of cannabis and I had already developed a desire to promote cannabis and to stop the stigma and the, the nonsense stories that were being spread about cannabis. <clears throat> so I'm in, in this job and, and in that case, I think I did, I did two hours or four hours in the afternoon. In between those two shows, there was another talk show where one of the other announcers at the radio station did that show. This was a small town in interior BC. And if you've ever listened to talk shows in the small town, in any small town, you'll know that there's always a few that can keep calling in. You get to know their voice and you get to know their weird, wild and wacky ideas. Well, there was this one woman in this town. I won't say her name because someone from her family may still be around. <laughs> Lil was her name. That was her first name anyways. And she was known to be constantly complaining about pretty well everything. This one day I was doing my work. I was doing some production work, getting some commercials recorded, but I had the radio on and, and I could hear what was going on. And I heard them start talking about marijuana and how nasty this plant was and how horrible she thought that it was that people were using cannabis and, and that, that we should be thrown in jail and the key thrown away. <laughs> well, you know, it went on and on from there. <laughs> I was always a bit of a rebel and I heard this and I thought, I can't, I cannot stand listening to this without offering some form of rebuttal. So the, the two studios, the one where the guy was live doing the talk show, I could see through the production studio. We had two windows connecting it. I picked up the phone and I dialed into the show and I got through and I started off using an absolutely horrible English accent. I, I admit it was bad. I did not know, well, I still don't know how to do accents very well, but I definitely didn't do a good English accent at that point. But I did not want to use my regular voice because I was going to be on the hour in, or on the air in 40 minutes and people wouldn't know it was me. So I did this and, and I proposed to, to promote cannabis as opposed to her being negative about it. And I don't know what caused the, well, I, I guess he knew it was me and the guy who was on the air, he, he turned over his shoulder. He looked back across the windows between the two studios. He looked at me and, and, and the look on his face was just absolute shock. He couldn't believe we were in this situation and that I was on the air. I think he very quickly got rid of me. The, the discussion ended and I had a little slap on the, on the wrist later from the station manager to not do those kind of things anymore because it, it might not be good for the station. <laughs> you never know, right? Now, I was pretty much of a rebel back then, but I had to enter that debate. I could not let that debate go on without at least challenging her about it. And then as I moved through my radio career, which was many, many years across many towns across our wonderful country, there were many opportunities I had, and we've spoken about this before, I was one of those radio announcers who smoked cannabis before my job. Don't need to worry about that now because I'm not accepting any more work as a radio announcer. And I mean, seriously, this is a job where you are playing music and you are throwing switches 
it's not terribly dangerous to be high and working in radio, at least in my opinion. And I kind of made it my goal as we moved across the country and I took on various roles in radio to find that spot that was the ideal spot to smoke a doobie, to, to blow a joint before it was time to go to work. And there were a couple of those over the years. I remember in trail, it was really difficult because it was a closed box. It was in an office building downtown. We only had the one outside door to get out. So if you were going to go, if your buddy came around and wanted to smoke a joint while a song was on or nothing, you had to go out that back door. And I think I told a story already of when that door locked on me <laughs> and I had to find my way back in. So what we would try, because this was back in the day and it did exist where we could smoke cigarettes in the radio station, in the control room. Engineers hated it. They hated all the smoke, but nonetheless, it was legal. It was allowed to do it and everybody did it. So you'd have a cigarette going in the ashtray and be on a day where nobody else was in the office or it was a little slow and you think, well, I mean, surely I could just, you know, smoke half of a doobie and throw a little air conditioner or, or air freshener up and I should be fine. <laughs> That's how it usually went because many of us did this over the course of, of the day working at the radio station. Except for this one particular time I had tried this and literally, as soon as I lit the joint over top of the ashtray, I looked out the window to uh, the control room and there was the general manager coming around the corner and into the control room. I quickly grabbed that air freshener as fast as I could, sprayed it around incredibly as he opened up the door and went, oh, what's that? Oh, oh man, I just had a bad fart. Oh, you did not want to smell that. Whether, whether it was just, he didn't want to know. <laughs> Because sometimes it's easier if you just walk away from these things. You don't actually have to know the reality of it. But I know myself and others did that uh, very thing in that control room many, many times over the course of working at that particular radio station. When I made the move to Winnipeg some years later after having, well, no, it's actually, if we're going to do the move, the next move was back to Thunder Bay. And Thunder Bay was interesting because... If you've never been to Thunder Bay, you might not know that it is actually and still kind of considered two cities, Fort William and Port Arthur. At least the people who live there still kind of feel that way. It is Thunder Bay, but they're more like subdivisions, I guess. We lived in Fort William. The radio stations I worked at were in Port Arthur, and I rode my bike. Had, oh, I don't know, probably about 5, 10K in between where we lived and where the radio stations were. And because I was on my bike, I got to try some different routes and find a, a great place where, as I'm always looking for in any place that I was working, I can sit down and smoke a joint or two before actually heading into the office. And in Thunder Bay, I had what I think was probably one of the finest. I discovered it this one day. I was driving down this one street and there was this path that kind of went off into a little forested area. And I let the bike roll down there and wow. It was like this, this glorious den of, of almost like the Garden of Eden, these, these lush, lush plants, beautiful little stream meandering through it and some lovely little rocks to sit on the edge of this stream, beautiful sky up above, nobody around. What a perfect place to, oh, sit and smoke a joint. And I did. That's where I stopped pretty well every day before I went into work. Stopped there and smoked a couple of doobies before it was time to head into work. 
And then when we made the move to Winnipeg, which in and of itself was a result of a, a cannabis encounter. <laughs> so here I am, it's New Year's Eve on, I can't even remember the year of it, sometime in the late 70s, I guess, early 80s. New Year's Eve, and I am out smoking a joint. What a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise to anybody by this point. <laughs> I'm smoking a joint with a fellow by the name of uh, Lee. Uh, Lee Marshall, I think was his name. I'll probably cut out the name because it's irrelevant. But I'm smoking a joint with this guy out in the garage. He's from Winnipeg. And we are both there at a wedding of a mutual friend. He was the morning man at the radio station I worked at in Thunder Bay. And as we're smoking this joint, we're chatting. And, and this fellow tells me that they've got an opening coming up in, at the FM station in Winnipeg. And I should throw a tape together and, and get it to him. So I did that on the Monday. That was a Saturday night. I forwarded by a courier a tape to him on Monday. They got it on Tuesday. Friday of that week, I was flying to Winnipeg to take the job as the morning man at an FM station, one of the chum stations in town. <laughs> a week. That's, that's how long the turnover was. And at that time, that radio station, so I was brought in to do the morning show, which meant that I would get to work at about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, do my preparation, and get all set to be on the air, bright and bubbly at 6 a.m. Well, I don't know about you, but when I'm trying to be bright and bubbly at 6 a.m., there's one way that I can get there pretty fast, and that is to smoke a doobie of some sativa. And that's what we would do. Fortunately, I found a, a kindred spirit when I arrived at the radio station, the guy who was doing the morning news. So this was a radio station that at the time was literally at the corner of Portage and Maine. And we would go up to the top of the, of the building, up on the roof, where you got this wonderful skyline of Winnipeg overlooking the Portage and Maine. That was freezing cold, so we had big jackets on. But what a great spot to smoke a doobie and get ready for the morning show. I had a blast in, the, in that environment. That was a lot of fun. Can't tell you how many joints I smoked on that roof, but, but there were a few of them. <laughs> So I guess that's probably enough rambling for you today. There's lots of rambling probably happening in your life. If you have any stories that you'd like to share with me about some of your experiences that have happened over the course of your cannabis experience, I'd love to hear about them. I think it's something that we should share a little bit more. I'm looking forward to, as I mentioned already, the conversation that I'm hoping to line up for next week. And we'll have a chat with Chris and get some ideas on his perspective for indoor growing. Apparently, he pulled off just a number of ounces from an indoor grow he just completed. So look forward to that. We are getting ready. As I said, our plants are germinating for the outdoor piece. And that's probably the last I'll speak about it on the program this year because of what happened last year. And you may recall, or if you are a brand new user, maybe you don't. I got ripped off at the end of the growing season last year for the second year in a row. Now, that might have something to do with it. It might be somebody who already knew about it. But it was a little coincidental in that I had spoken about it on a particular episode of the Cannabis Podcast, and within the course of a week or so, I lost another plant. It got ripped off out of the garden. So, while I generally am pretty candid, I'm going to hold back many of the stories and uh, ideas and specifics about what we're doing from a growing perspective this year. And it will all be, I will just enjoy it and I won't have to worry about anybody stealing it. If you have comments about anything that you hear on the podcast, please send a note to info at cannabispodcast.com. If you know somebody that you think we should interview, 
or there's a comment or a story that you would like to hear, or perhaps a cultivar corner you would like us to do, send that along to info at cannabispodcast.com. And of course, you'll find the links to the stories we talked about today, the history of Canada and the idiot connecting cannabis with COVID-19. Those links as well are at cannabispodcast.com. This is what I urge to everybody that I see and connect with in this day and age. As COVID-19 continues to ravage our planet, we're getting there. We're almost over the hump. Things are going to start to improve. So please stay healthy and stay high. And that wraps it up for episode 43 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the cannabis-infused studio, high above the Okanagan Valley... This was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out A Major Journey today on all major podcast platforms.